The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Marcia Schink. She was the keynote speaker at the Women in Agile event that was part of the 2020 Business Agility Conference this year. Marsha works with leaders integrating business anthropology, social neuroscience, and ecosystem thinking to build business environments that are able to morph with change. Marsha, thanks so much for being here today. It's great to reconnect with you. Great to see you again. Yeah, yeah. So we always ask our guests um, the very first question, how did you find Agile? Or perhaps was it how did Agile find you? Well, it's, it's the second Agile found me. A close colleague of mine was speaking at the first business agility uh, conference in New York City. I think that was 2017. I think so too, yeah. And he said, Marcia, you have to come. Why? Why do I have to come? Because you are agility. Oh, you're right. Okay. So I went. And I was so thrilled to find a tribe of people working on helping people to welcome change. Not only welcome change, but really move with it, celebrate it, dance with it, thrive with it. Um, So that's how I found Agile. Yeah, and I love the way you describe it because as we think of kind of and I mean, you, our listeners won't get the benefit of the video because we're only recording audio. But so I'm using quotation fingers when I say change management, right? And like the, the discipline and the profession of change management. But when you talk about singing with it and dancing with it and all of these beautiful mm-hmm. qualities, mm-hmm. I think about it's not change management, but it is building change fluency right. within ourself, within teams, within organizations, mm-hmm. because you don't manage a dance, right. right? You don't manage a song. It's something that you become and you build fluency in so that you just move through it organically. So I, I think there's even something about calling it management that puts us into a rigid sort of box that prevents what you're talking about. I completely agree. Management assumes that you have identified a number of variables and you and you are promising a result, which at this moment, we can really laugh at the idea of promising a result. I mean, it's, it's almost funny. Yeah, there is so but, much uncertainty in our world. Right. It, it's funny and it's not funny. Um, I mean, even people who are, are just bending the world in order to get masks and gowns and whatnot to places where it needs to be, 
the infrastructure isn't operating the same way it usually does. And it, it takes three times as long. Well, yeah. we're not we're not used to it. So I couldn't agree with you more. I love your word fluency and and fluidity. It's so much more appropriate, really. Um, My teacher, who is a biologist, describes intelligence as behavioral plasticity. Oh, I love that. um, He knocks my socks off. He's, He's over 90. Every time I talk to him, I go, oh, my God. He upsets my world. So with that notion of behavioral plasticity, um, really agility is attempting in every way to show us the core of what we have to do in order to have that kind of responsiveness. We have to be talking to the presumed beneficiaries of our actions and we have to assume that they are also going to learn. So whatever they thought they needed on day one really could have changed by day 14 as mm-hmm. we've discovered time and again. So it's not only the work that we do in that 14 day sprint, it's also whatever else happened in the universe of the people we call customers also changes and so by the time 14 days are by, we're in a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Right now in the pandemic, that's really obvious. I'm afraid yeah. we're going to forget it again or, or business would like to forget it again because it's built on the principle that repetition is where you get profit. Yeah. And that's the real age, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, is as tragic as much of this is that we're going through as society, I can't help but believe that the, when everybody can gain perspective, right? The craving for agility, I think will be larger than ever because people will go and say, we realize we haven't been doing this and we've heard these stories. Mm -hmm. Now's the time to figure it out the right way. Um, So agile industry, like, you may feel like things are strange right now, but build up your resi- resiliency and strength right now. Cause when this is over, I think they're going to be calling all of us in like giant tsunami wave kind of demand. They will, they may not call it agile. And that's, they one, might not. That is one of the messages that I am broadcasting on a daily basis to people in the agile community. You do not have to be looking for a job that's called Agile Coach. Yes. You could consider the fact that you have a a bag of, of skills that can be applied in many places that are looking for responsiveness. And at this moment, the entire world is looking for responsiveness. And to be able to have a you know, a light touch, but a disciplined touch about that feedback loop between the proposed providers and the proposed beneficiaries. And that particular feedback loop is really, it's um, kind of what makes it all work. Yeah. And there's, there's something so 
beautiful about that, Marcia, especially when we think about the role of women. And um, I remember in 2019, Fabiola was our keynote speaker at the Women in Agile event as part of the Business Agility Conference. And she, right, is such a, a so wise and like the HR and people operations stuff, inciting those statistics about how like a woman won't apply for a job unless she feels like she meets all the criteria. But traditionally, a man will apply if he meets, you know, half of it, maybe a touch more. And so that idea of, oh my gosh, I identify as a woman that is an agile coach and agile practitioner. I go apply for agile jobs, looking to the adjacent disciplines and roles that are outside of that norm and having that confidence to take this highly transferable skill set that we have as agilists into other domains. What a gift. Absolutely. To those other people. Absolutely. So, you're, so you don't need a job as an agile coach or a scrum master. You can offer to help businesses, organizations, governments, NGOs, everybody now trying to get back on their feet. How can they get back on their feet in a more flexible, fluid, responsive manner? Right? Now, and as I was kind of hoping to point out today, I believe there's two more bits that a woman needs in order to make her skills really transferable. Yeah. All right. So before we go there, I want to get one more thing from you. Okay, sure. Um, you, so if we go back to your origin story, kind of around Agile, right? You know, you really got connected with the community in 2017. Yep. Um, given your, right, and I love the idea of business anthropology, right? Given your perspective of women kind of, you know, in their careers in general in business, what did you immediately notice about the role of women in business or women in Agile around that 2017 time marker? And how have you seen it evolve over the past three years? Oh, I've, I've definitely seen way more claim to sort of the natural advantage that women have in, in the Agile context. Uh, and that natural advantage is um, a way of making people feel like they belong and are listened to. It comes to us a little more naturally just because we're women. Now, yeah. as you can see, I'm an androgynous beast and I've always been androgynous. Nonetheless, um, Women, as you know, are built to have children, and they and that biology through millions of years of mammalian evolution has produced incredible advantage. So having half of the adult population riveted on inclusion and care has worked very well for mammals for, oh, I don't know, roughly 250 million years. So we probably don't need to fight that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that, that wonderful um, generative space that is an agile team has that quality of a small group of mammals that it works with a feedback loop that's that is all about whether everybody's being taken care of. Yeah. Women are, I mean, like I say, I I have a lot of advantages because I'm androgynous. Um, 
And I haven't been penalized because I'm a female for that reason, right? But I, I can still say that the women carry, well, the female propensity to care has a great deal to do with the advantage of mammals. And how do you see that show up in Agile? Well, <clears throat> protecting the feedback loop is very, very much like protecting the integrity of the group. Because think about what is the integrity of the group. We're a group of elephants, let's say, and you're the matriarch, and I'm an auntie. Well, in that group, the individuals are already known. You don't just wander in and wander out of an elephant troop. You're yeah. in it for life. Yeah. And those individuals are riveted to taking care of each other. Riveted. And that and feedback, that feedback look is very, very much like an agile team. Yeah. Oh, what? There's a noise over there. Didn't we better go find out what that noise was? Well, it's an adolescent that got its legs stuck somewhere or something, right? That's exactly the kind of feedback loop that an agile team uses. You're guaranteed membership and you're guaranteed being listened to and you have to contribute. Yeah, I, I love that kind of analogy because it <clears throat> is, I mean, you know, we want to care for our customers, right? If our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. And we give that that same care and attention as we would in this sort of innate biological way. Talk about like delighting them and really being in tune to their needs. That's such a beautiful metaphor. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that, that neuroscientists will tell you is that social animals co-regulate metabolically. Now, this is this may be a little hard. This to is ask. deep. But go for it. <laughs> it might be a little hard for you to wrap your head around, but it really works in an agile team incredibly well because if you get nine people in a room, they will, their metabolism will co-regulate. Um, and there's nothing like it. And if you're also listening to each other's feedback, the experience is a peak experience it's exactly the experience that the brain the brain was designed to long for so there's something incredibly powerful there and women who have been trained in agile are wise to remember that they can create an experience that the brain was designed for so that, what that means is people are going to be smarter and happier and healthier in that environment now that's been proven as you know, we have the numbers on agile teams. Yeah. Um, but for women to know that you can just pick those skills up and take them anywhere that's now looking to include its people in the way they, they recover from the pandemic. And that is going to be everybody. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree. And there's there's something that you're pointing to around like leveraging the way the brain works and this idea of the agile environment and that natural sort of maternal characteristic of care that goes into this. But mm -hmm. as you and I were chatting about before the episode today, there's a difference. One, as women in agile, we have all grown up in a patriarchy um, and 
we are just now entering an age where there are those of us that have grown up in agile as professionals versus having lived something that is not agile and then learned agile and seen the light and now we won't go back. And so that's a lot of different kind of variables and scenarios that kind of go into these tips and tricks that you, you were starting to point towards earlier um, around like as women think about their careers in the way agile supports and gets in the way of different aspects of that. Yeah. So as, as women going forward, if you choose to use this moment to step outside the, the sort of agile, well, I don't know if you want to farm, yeah, ecosystem call. bubble. <laughs> um, there are a couple more things that you need to know that you might think would be supplied automatically, but they won't be in a non-agile environment. So here's what they are. One is you have to be willing to fiercely protect your people and the process. You cannot let anybody mess with it because they can see a more profitable way or something like that. Um, so I, <clears throat> I have a colleague who's a senior vice president who is a woman and who was telling me recently that, oh, she's maybe not so bold and maybe not so exciting. And I said, really? Uh, really? Well, how come your people always do so well? Well, blah, blah, well, and blah, blah. No. That's not why your people always do so well. I'm going to show you something. So I said to her, okay. So suppose that I came along and said, listen, I'm going to take some of your people because I've got something really important to do over in my division. She, what? She's got her fists up. You are not. Exactly. That fierce willingness to not let the process be disturbed. So I was a single mother and I can say to other women, you know that there's part of you that would rip someone's arm off if they tried to harm your child. That same fierceness without the ripping the arm off applies in the workplace. Don't even think about messing with my people. You need that protection yeah. you need to have the agile process work because that it's not psychological safety so much as social safety. Yeah. It's not inside your head. You want to know that there is actually somebody there to protect you. That's not psychological. So that's one bit. And there's another bit, which is possibly even more important, which is in the agile environment, you assume that someone has already decided who is the beneficiary and that somehow wasn't you. Somebody else decided who was the beneficiary. And someone else also decided the purpose. And the, that's really tricky. So let's say you took a job in some NGO that wanted to really get on its feet after the pandemic and they weren't looking for an agile coach, but they recognized your skills, that your projects have been very successful, that your people have done well. Um, <clears throat> And you're willing to be a little fierce about protecting the process and your people. Well, if you were very, very clear about the core promise of that organization, then there would be nothing in your way. 
because if you knew, for example, um, that your mission was to make sure there were healthcare providers for people, uh, uninsured people who uh, didn't have other access to healthcare. I'm using a real example. Let's say that. Okay. Once you know that, then you can turn your people free because you know the outcome. If, if you don't have a core promise that you can work from, that will always inform you. It's like the North Star. Oh, 100%. And if you don't have that, you're working for a company that's maybe trying to get a better project, product than the competition or get it out faster than somebody in France or whatever it is. You do not have a clear purpose. So you need that core promise. And if you go into an organization that doesn't have it, take the authority to insist that they clarify it. Yeah, and I think, and, and that idea of taking the authority, I think also really applies to your first thing around the fierce protection of the people and process. Because I know, right, I have been in the situations in the past, as well as so many friends, peers, colleagues, and others, that it's like, yeah, I want to fiercely protect the purpose. I want or uh, fiercely protect the process and people. I want to be totally purpose-driven, but mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have the authority to right. stand up on the table and be like, but no, we can't move forward unless this is true. And so that claiming of your own agency and stepping into your own power, right. like really right. is the edge that we're talking about that right. women need to cross. Right. Not really anyone. This, I mean, it's exactly. we say women, but it is anyone. It is anyone, and right. And however, women tend to default to being a little passive about that. So I would say, I want to authorize you. I want you to be able to say, you're absolutely, I will get you and everything you own to St. Louis by Friday. But here's what I need. I need A, B, C, and D. And if I don't have all four of those, we're not going to get there. <laughs> we will. I promise you that we will not be in St. Louis by Friday if I do not have these four items. And you want to take authority to do that. That way, your promises can be way more bold and can get to the point where they're pristine and absolutely untouchable. If you take the authority to say, we need seven bananas, four automobiles, and whatever else you need. Yeah, that, Marcia, this reminds me so much of some of the best advice I've gotten in the past, I'll say, I guess, five years-ish, um, was from Charlie Rudd, who was one of the original owners of the company Solutions IQ, um, or you know, as it became an agile consultancy. And he said to me, he Leslie, he goes, you're great at... You know, somebody brings you a problem. They're like, yep, I'll figure out how to go solve it. I think about oftentimes um, a Swiss army knife being my spirit animal. Like I'm not necessarily really, really good at any given one thing, but I've got a whole bunch of different tricks and tools that I can pretty much try and sufficiently solve any given problem. But, it, but he challenged me and he said, Leslie, there's a fallacy in that because what I don't ever hear you saying is no. When someone comes to you with that request, 
And you're like, yeah, I want to solve that problem, but I'm not going to say yes until you give me X, Y, and Z, because without them, I know I can't be successful. And he said, that really is going to be the game changer for you. And he has said this to me several times over the course of these five years. And and cognitively understanding that and doing something about it are two different things. But I would say over the past 18 months, I found whatever that courage was in me to start saying no when I didn't feel like the ground conditions for success were there. And it is so liberating, like the power and the authority that I feel like I can stand in is this entirely different style of leadership now. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's not you. It's not just you. Leslie, can you do this? Yes. No. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me see. Yeah. Is, is, you know, George going to be able to get to the supplies to me? And is Joanne going to be able to have the kids taken care of and have everybody, all the adults and, and, and... you have to think about what is needed and be able to say no, because if you can't, as an Angelist said to me recently, she said, my yes is meaningless because I never say no. Yeah. Oh, will you repeat that again? <laughs> she said to me, and she's right. Yeah, she her totally no, is. Her yes was meaningless because she never said no. Oh. And she said that to me after rescheduling four times. She was observing herself. Like she should have said no to begin with. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a, a huge, huge, huge benefit in finding the authority to say no, and then finding the authority to say yes, and there will be A, B, C, and D. Yeah. So I think as we start to wrap today, Marcia, <laughs> what are those tips and tricks you can give our listeners around finding, and I'm going to call it courage, to claim your own authority. Right. Okay. I will tell you what I think is, is the only trick that matters. Work in a trio. That means you and two other people. You don't have to know them. What you have to do is you have to tell them about the projects in your life that you've been most proud of. Mm. It can go all the way back to grammar school, some kid you helped get elected to the class treasurer, something you did with your grandmother, anything. You have to tell those stories to your trio mates until they're satisfied that you have claimed your part and acknowledged other people's parts. Okay, that's one of the practices of dignity looping. And your trio mates get to say, no, not yet. Stick your tits out farther and try that again. I love that kind of channeling Mrs. Mabel. Tits up. (laughs) Really? Yeah. You you try it. Try telling a story like this. Yeah, with your shoulders hunched versus like really standing in your authority. Absolutely. Breast bone points directly at 1.30. It's easier to say stick your tits out than breast point. Breast bone points directly at 1.30, but either one will work. Yeah. And you have to, it'll take you a while. You, you yeah. might try it and you'll find that your trio, your trio mates are going, until you can tell the story really, 
really, yeah. really get into it. Oh God, we didn't know what to do. And then I thought of, and so if you do that, sell it yeah. to you, you'll be fine. If you get all three people to agree that all three of you are doing, are, are really claiming your contributions, that's a great thing. It is. And there's, there's an emotional, and I also would imagine neurological muscle that you're strengthening there and building your awareness in noticing when that kind of similar emotion shows up in other situations, because that's probably a really good intuition check that you're on to something good. Like, oh, I'm doing something right now that feels the same is when I'm totally claiming my contributions in this scenario. This feels important. Let's run with it. Mm -hmm. This is something worth putting a stake in the ground and really fighting for. It is. And don't be ashamed if you if your accomplishments appear to be intangible, because the intangible stuff turns out to me the most important. Oh, the nuance is where all the richness is. It turns out that all 400 people in the division, dis the next day, mobilized. Really? Well, that that's a pretty darn impressive. It, it yeah. is tangible. You can't say, you know, productivity was increased by 14%. But yeah. really, everybody came back to work, and, and you got all 400 of them mobilized to do something new. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> any, anything else on these tips or tricks before I, I give you our kind of two standard closing questions? I don't think so. I mean, I think I gave you a couple tricks and they're pretty yeah. powerful, but you gotta, love it. you gotta practice them or they won't, you know? Yeah. They won't yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So Marsha, what are you doing for you? Like, what is the thing that you're geeking out on that you're studying? What's your next horizon of kind of professional growth and development? Right. Well, that's a great question, because as you can see, I'm at the other end of my career. I'm 25 <laughs> and I'm doing my best to restrict myself to four hours a day of work. I'm not so great at it. So my frontiers are learning to deliver remotely like everybody's doing right now. Not yeah. my long suit. I really like that mammalian co-regulation that happens. <laughs> I really like that stuff. Uh, so I'm doing that. I am empowering other people to deliver what I have developed. And that's really the edge. I mean, right now I have four really um, wonderful, very accomplished um, practitioners who can deliver what I've worked all these years to figure out. And I know my jobs, get out of the way, let them do it, let it grow to be what it needs to be without me, somehow continue to nourish that. Um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. What's that experience been like for you? I love it. I, I, I adore it. I went on a completely open learning journey. Um, we began in late October and we're just completing that journey. And I was willing to be totally transformed by it as, as were they. Yeah. We're all very different practitioners now than we were then. Oh, that sounds like a whole separate episode we could record and talk about what that's like. 
because there is there is something to um, taking that approach of building those around you and extending your legacy from day one and not being a thing. It's like, oh, and I'm ready to end my career. So now I need to do that. <laughs> How do you actually take that? Uh, that uh, approach is the only word I can think of and instill that in early so that you're always doing it. Um, oh, you I don't know how to do it, but it's an, it's a novel idea that I'm curious about. Well, we'll talk about it when you want. It's not a recipe. Okay. The point is it's not a recipe. That's exactly yeah. just like the agile process. It looks like a recipe. I can understand that, but there's a way in which it's not a recipe yeah. because it's not, you're not going to get perfect cornbread every time. Yes. You get a different result and you yeah. won't be able to predict it. Yeah. It's the, it's the more art versus science. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. So final thoughts you want to share with everybody? Anything? You go for it. I, 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 I listen, I, I just feel so blessed and honored to have had this half hour chat with you. Well, more than that, because we got to chat during the prep, but there's so much richness here. I, I often say um, to our guests that sometimes the topics find me versus me finding the topics. And they're just such gifts. It's like, there's things in here I needed to hear today. So just thank you. And I, and I hope everyone else feels that way too. Well, thank you. I needed to say them just like you needed to hear them. So we will do this again. Thank you. We so will. Leslie. You're welcome. Thank you, Marsha. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to go tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And you can always go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.